I bet you never thought the Harlem Shake has a spiritual message built into it, but one Fordham professor says it does, and so do a lot of other songs. Good morning, I'm Chris Williams and this is Fordham Conversations. Today on our show I'm talking to Professor Thomas Bedoin about so-called spiritual sleepers, or songs with hidden meanings. I just want to start out by asking you what a spiritual sleeper is and, and where the term came from. Uh, the spiritual sleeper is a song that has uh, potentially interesting uh, or significant spiritual material associated with it. In other words, a song that people might uh, profit from thinking about or feeling their way through a little bit. Um, and it could be uh, something from the larger culture that you may not have thought was spiritually significant. And I call it a spiritual sleeper because a sleeper is in bowling is a bowling pin that hides behind another pin. And you have to throw the ball in a certain angle in order to hit that sleeper pin. And a, a sleeper hit in uh, the theater is uh, a show that people did not expect to do that well, but it has a staying power that surprises you. So uh, I'm someone who studies popular music and theology for a living, and so I find lots of songs that uh, at first glance may not be spiritually significant for people, but with a little further investigation might actually have something to say. So why do you think it is that these songs aren't spiritual on the surface, but have it, have it deeper down? You know, why, why is it not obvious? That's a good question, because a lot of popular songs uh, don't use what many people would identify as, as explicitly religious language or even explicitly spiritual language. And that's fine. I'm not saying uh, that any tune should or any artist should. Uh, so it doesn't, in a sense, give itself over to an evident spiritual interpretation. Uh, but um, what I'm trying to say is not that there is necessarily a spiritual essence to these songs or to pop songs in general, but when viewed from a certain perspective can become the occasion for uh, entering more deeply into the mystery of your own life, which is part of the job that theologians like me have, is to help people um, enter more deeply into their own mystery and to ask uh, the deeper questions that are always there within us, but sometimes uh, because of contemporary life don't have an opportunity to be explored. So can any genre of music contain a spiritual sleeper? Or does it happen more often, like, let's say, in folk music or pop music? Or does it pop up everywhere, even rap and in places that we wouldn't even expect? That's a really interesting question. I would say, in principle, uh, any genre of music that presents itself as primarily secular, that is to say, Secular means many different things, but I'm meaning it here as uh, standing back from uh, the sacred or standing back from the religious. Um, any, any kind of contemporary music that presents itself that way uh, can have spiritual sleepers. And we see this, for example, in movies. Many people have a favorite movie that communicates to them something important about their lives uh, and that helps them make sense of the big picture. You know, you, you know that you are in the realm of uh, a spiritually significant um, item from popular culture like a film or a television show or a song or something like this or even a website when um, it, it opens up the world to you in a way that helps you gain a larger sense for your own life 
and it helps you understand that maybe the way that you are living or thinking or feeling is too small for you and there's more there. So now I just want to talk a little bit about some of the specific songs that you wrote about. Um, just starting off, you wrote about the Harlem Shake videos mm -hmm. and, and how, the, can you just talk a little bit about that? Because I think most people wouldn't think that there's <laughs> any type of spiritual um, message going on there, but apparently there is. Well, it's, it's not a spiritual message that's, let's say, automatic, or it, it's not even like a secret message in the song, but, it's, but when viewed from uh, a particular angle, it can become the occasion for asking the kinds of questions that theologians are interested in, like where we come from and what our lives are about and what's the big picture for ourselves. Um, so when I was watching the, the Harlem Shake videos, which I enjoy a whole lot and get a big kick out of, um, and I was noticing this kind of common uh, motif across all the videos where someone starts off uh, dancing in this slightly odd way, and the, but the rest of the room is just in this normal work-a-day kind of um, bored environment, uh, like, like the everyday ennui, and then uh, all of a sudden everything changes, and people are doing these uh, sometimes very sexual, sometimes very strange, um, sometimes just you can't even categorize them, uh, actions or rituals or gyrations, and everybody is doing something that's just, it's, it's weird, you know, it's, 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 it's uh, got a certain angularity to it that, that is not reducible to what you normally see in music videos. And so um, I thought about this a lot, and I thought, you know, why is this, why is this happening, and why is it so compelling? Um, and, you know, one angle on that, it's not the only angle, but one angle is uh, that uh, this video is kind of showing us uh, what something that is actually deeply true about ourselves, and that is within each of us, there is that very weird thing, that very um, surprising, hidden uh, dimension of ourselves that's going on just below the surface in everyday life. And the Harlem Shake is showing uh, that uh, music is a way to bring out that, um, what one poet uh, Rene Char calls legitimate strangeness, and everybody has that. Uh, and part of, um, again, part of a theological perspective is, is to say that there's something gorgeous about each of our lives, uh, and it's always going to be a little bit strange to everybody else. In the Harlem Shake video, when viewed from that angle, you can kind of see how that might be, uh, might be true in that video. So just, just listening to you talk about this, it sounds a lot like it's not necessarily... Um, pinned down to one religion. It sounds very non-denominational. Mm -hmm. Would you agree to that? Uh, it, my way of dealing with uh, music and with popular culture in general as a theologian is informed by my training uh, as a Christian theologian and more specifically as a Catholic theologian. But it's also trying to open on to a multi-religious and also a non-religious perspective uh, and that has to do with my own particular uh, journey, and that has to also do with the students that I teach, um, because I need to be able to speak to students from a wide range of interests and a wide range of commitments. Um, and in my own life, I've experienced going through different uh, phases of my own development as well. So um, I try to... Um, uh, speak and think uh, and in such a way 
that I can invite on board as many perspectives as possible uh, and try to do what I call an interreligious and intersecular kind of theology that's always oriented toward finding uh, the depth in ordinary experience that helps us live uh, more courageous, more satisfying lives. I'm Chris Williams on 90.7 WFUV, talking to Professor Thomas Bedoin about spiritual sleepers. There's one song that I particularly like um, from a a rock band called Rush, which is uh, a band that's been around for several decades. And I like it because it's so provocative and it speaks to a particular moment in our culture today. And that song that that came out a few years ago is called Faithless. Now that's that's an extremely interesting thing to have going in a rock song or pop song uh, because it is going right after religious questions and it's taking this 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 both appreciative and skeptical approach toward them uh, and it it really speaks to our moment at least in North America because the number of people who identify with no religious tradition is growing quite quickly and um, Nearly 20% of Americans and nearly one-third of young adults say they have no religious affiliation at all. That's very interesting to me. I don't have any judgment about that in principle. Uh, I'm just curious about how people put their lives together in a way that helps them to live with a sense of responsibility to others um, and a sense of something greater at stake in the cosmos. So uh, that song, Faithless, sometimes I use with my students and I introduce in conversation as a way of saying... What do you think about this? Is this, a, is this a way of talking about faith that makes sense to you? Is it okay for someone to declare that they're faithless? And uh, is that a way of living with integrity? Uh, or is it a problem if someone is faithless? So I think uh, listening for tunes like that, that uh, engage in, in the conversation a little more explicitly than, let's say, the spiritual sleeper, um, can be... Uh, an opportunity just to think a little bit more uh, in everyday life about what's most important to us. So I like that song uh, actually a whole lot. So one of the songs you wrote about was David Bowie's Where Are We Now? Mm-hmm. I actually have a question about another Bowie song. I don't know if you'd be able to answer my question, but I'm going to just give it okay. a shot. Uh-huh. I wanted to ask about uh, the song Modern Love, oh, if you're okay. familiar with it. Uh, I am a little bit, yeah. One of the lyrics in there is, you know, it gets me to the church on time. And uh-huh. I'm just curious because you don't normally think that David Bowie would be the type of person worried about getting to church on time. Is Modern Love a a song about Bowie himself? Or is he, as is so often the case in pop songs, is he the narrator? uh, Or is he a persona? Um, And uh, Gets Me to the Church on Time can have all sorts of meanings. And in the rock and roll tradition, uh, church can symbolize... Uh, the performance space, the musical space. It can mean all sorts of different things. Uh, I mean, one can imagine all sorts of meanings 
to gets me to the church on time, gets me gets me into a sacred space, something like that. Uh, but the interesting thing is uh, the way you pose it, um, it there is a, a presumed kind of tight fit between Bowie's intentions and the meaning of that particular lyric. We don't know if um, that lyric is about David Bowie at all, really. It may have just been something he dreamt, or it may have just been a random thought he had, or an idea that someone gave to him. We don't, I mean, I don't particularly know about that particular lyric. When I was writing about uh, the song, Where Are We Now, from his most recent album, I was, I was doing what you were doing um, I was saying, well, if you take this, the way that he's singing this song, which is this very um, uh, kind of, he's musing, he's aching, he's kind of iterating, uh, he's kind of in a very uh, what's happening now kind of tone in his voice. And you, and you hear that as not only a persona or as a man telling a story, but as some kind of expression about David Bowie himself, about what he has gone through and where he is in his life, the age and the stage of his career that he is at, then that is a very poignant lyric. Uh, and um, you, could, you could make a case, if a case needed to be made, that a lot of those lyrics do express something about his own life. And, you know, it, it would be true that even if he were saying, this is just a persona or I'm just a narrator, it's still never entirely separate from your own experience. So I was using um, David Bowie as an, as an aging, a venerable musician uh, singing these lyrics that are questioning the meaning of age and the significance of, um, of finding oneself late in the game of one's life. I was saying, well, that's actually something that religions do as well, and they do it pretty well. And pretty interestingly, they ask people to meditate on what the entire arc of their life is all about. And they, and they ask people, in fact, almost every major religion that I know, uh, ask people to meditate on the end of their lives. Uh, and in fact, that's part of the spiritual significance of the uh, crucifixion stories in the Christian scriptures, is to act as a spiritual exercise to get people to identify with Jesus and imagine their own death. And... The, uh, the, the wager for many different religious traditions is that the imagination of your own death will help clarify how you should live right now. And so uh, when David Bowie asks, where are we now? It's not only a question that folks who are in the later stages of their life might be asking about what's this all mean, but it's an occasion for anybody of any age to ask, how in the world do I know what my life is about? And that, to me, is a, is a profound service that pop music can serve. You may not want it to serve that, that, that way in the moment when you're dancing or when you're enjoying or when you're out with friends, but all of us have songs that stick with us and that we find ourselves returning to and that kind of play back in our head again and again and again and again. So uh, there's nothing essential about this song that would make people have to adopt it but if it is useful for you, then, then, uh, then by all means adopt it. And if you have other songs that help you, help put you in a place where you can think about the arc of your life, where things are going, why they're going that way, and whether you want them to go that way, 
um, and what powers you're relating to as they're going that way, then, then uh, make of your own favorite songs a spiritual exercise. Is it possible that there are some songs that might seem religious on the surface but are actually not? Just mm. the Beatles, Let It Be. Mm-hmm. You know, at the, on the surface it seems pretty religious. Mm-hmm. The lyrics, Mother Mary and mm-hmm. Let It Be, I, I believe is taken out of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, but could it have another meaning? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, Let It Be is one way to translate the uh, word Amen. Uh, so be it. Let it happen. It's actually a lovely uh, and very powerful kind of um, idea, uh, the idea of, of, of consenting to reality, um, to surrendering to something that's worthy of being surrendered to. So you ask a good question about whether songs that may present themselves in religious terms are really religious, and my way of thinking about that is to say that that question, in a way presumes that there is uh, some authority that could tell you whether a song is really religious. And I don't know of any such authority. I think that uh, uh, I'm more pragmatic about all this in the sense that what I think is spiritually or religiously significant about music is not so much what's built into it by the artist or by the producer or by the album designer or the production company or whatever. That is to say, not, not, not so much, or let's say not exclusively what's built in from the production side, um, but more, not exclusively, but more what happens on, let's say, the consumption side. That is to say, how do people use it how do people hear it? How does how do songs sit in your life? Songs can the the most the most irrev the most seemingly irreverent or irreligious or non spiritual tune can really change people's lives in ways that are spiritually significant in the sense of opening them up to another dimension of life that helps them. Uh, become more mature, more courageous, more holy, more aware, more responsible. All those things, more virtuous, all those things that all major religions are invested in. Right? I'm not saying they all agree on exactly the content of all those things, but, but uh, in terms of uh, improving your capacity to be a human being with respect to powers that exceed you and that are worthy of your relationship. In that way, um, any song can, can in principle, help you do that. Uh, I know a guy who listens every day to uh, the Beatles tune, Here Comes the Sun, and that song helps him get into that headspace every day. Uh, everybody's got their songs that, that help them do that, and you'd be surprised in everyday life uh, how kind of, in a sense, trivial those songs can be that help people do that. Why is that? Uh, Shouldn't there only be profound religious or spiritual songs that move people in that way? Not necessarily, because very often the songs that are very meaningful to us, the forms of music that really inspire us and open us up, have to do with certain relationships in our lives and have to do with certain times in our lives. So the music that you hear or that you enjoy between your teenage years and your young adult years 
are, are utterly more influential than any other music you will have before that or after that. So that plays a special role in your life too. So people often find themselves going back to the music that they that was around them when they between the ages of 16 and 25. Uh, that's very important to them. So not all music is equal in that way, um, in the in the sense that those years play a very important role. But in another way, music is in is completely equal between quote unquote secular and quote unquote religious in its potential to open people up to a bigger sense for life. So you mentioned that people have certain songs that are moving to them. So what are some of your songs? There, well, let me say, there are a lot of tunes that I draw fruit from. And I listen to a lot of music. And I've been a musician for about 26 years. So um, playing music is also very important to me in this, in this whole sense of theological appreciation of music. Um, but... Uh, this is a little bit obscure, but um, there was a song that came out about maybe 15 or so years ago by a Southern artist, a singer-songwriter, and her name is Michelle Malone. And uh, she's been touring the country for maybe uh, 15, 20 years playing music. She's extremely talented. And uh, she has this song called Super Ball, of all things, and uh, the, um, the way that the song is sung is, is a very, for me, the sound of her voice, and this, is, this can be important people, to people too, this, the sound of her voice, the sound of her guitar, somehow draws me in to the way, way that she sings in a folky kind of way that uh, I don't appreciate all folk music, but I appreciate the way that she's singing and the way that she's playing. And um, uh, the part of the chorus of that song is... Um, don't throw it away, don't throw it away, you're a super ball. And the, the song is about, um, you know, in a way, it's very trite. Those Super Bowls, those very bouncy balls that you throw them and they're just going to keep on bouncing forever. They never stop. And uh, she's saying, she's really asking you, out of this very trite image of a Super Bowl bouncing all over the room, she's saying, uh, make of your life a spiritual exercise such that you can imagine that your life is going to be like that ball. And it's going to it's going to have these times when there's just... Like Super Bowls have this ability to just have a crazy upness in a in a totally weird direction that you would not have predicted, and then they'll then they're going to come down again, and then they're going to bounce sideways, and they're going to bounce all these unpredictable directions. And the song is saying, when you're when you're coming down from whatever that high was in your life, um, now is not the time to say to to be in despair. Now is not the time. Don't throw it all away. She says. Uh, in other words, remember, she, the, the lyric is, you're a super ball, right? In other words, theologically, what she's saying is, um, sit back into your own nature. Remember where you come from and what your being is about. What's going on right now, even if you're on the downward, does not define the entire expression of your very self. So if you can... Uh, consent more 
to who you really are, you will be able to handle the downward slope. So I love that tune. Uh, and I, I, I love it because it's a profound message and it's an ancient message that many religions have, which is um, have the courage to say yes to your own life and to have the courage to say yes to your own nature, um, uh, to your own what I called earlier legitimate strangeness. Um, but it's, it's packaged as all great pop songs are in this very accessible language of a Super Bowl. So you're the director of the Rock and Theology Project. So can you just talk a little bit about the, how that got started and the type of stuff that you guys are doing? Yeah, Rock and Theology is a project that got started about uh, five years ago when I saw that the abbot primate of the Benedictine order, now the Benedictines are a Roman Catholic religious community like the Jesuits or like the Dominicans or things like that, and they have a head honcho who's in Rome, like all these religious orders do, and this guy's name is Notker Wolf. Um, and it turns out that uh, he is an electric guitar player and plays secular rock songs. And uh, so I saw a picture of him playing his electric guitar with his habit on. And I said, oh, that's kind of provocative. This monk who has this very important job leading this global religious order plays in a rock band in Italy. And uh, it made me... It, think about uh, all of my friends who are theologians who are also really good rock musicians. And I've played in various bands with other theologians over the years, but we've never actually sat down and said, what is that weird relationship between music, uh, more specifically rock and roll, and theology? And how do these things fit together in our lives? I've been wondering about this for myself for a long time, and I've been living it, uh, for a long time. And so when I saw that picture of Notker Wolf, I talked to a particular publisher called the Liturgical Press, which is associated with the Benedictine Order. And I said, would you be interested if I could get some friends who, who are rock musicians or big fans, uh, most of them are musicians, but who are also really skilled at theology, and have them write about what's the relationship between music and faith, or music and religion, or music and the sacred. And they said, yeah, we would be interested in that. So I started putting the word out, and um, through various measures uh, and invitations and things like that, we ended up getting, we've had about maybe 15 or 16 people in all over the years who have participated in the Rock and Theology Project. And basically, the Rock and Theology Project is... Uh, first and foremost, a blog uh, where we write about uh, all sorts of pieces of the relationship between religion, faith, spirituality, on the one hand, and secular music, popular music, music as such, on the other. Uh, and we come at that from all sorts of different perspectives. We each have our own set of interests and questions and things like that. And uh, we also um, have started to put together some publications, namely our first publication, uh, a book called Secular Music and Sacred Theology, that for, for which I was the editor, and I wrote the introductory chapter, which tries to lay out how might one think about the relationship between music and theology. And then it goes on with many contributors from the Rock and Theology Project who wrote individual chapters to consider the relationship between theology and music from all sorts of different perspectives. Those perspectives are from 
some from a Catholic perspective, some from Protestant perspective, some from evangelical perspectives, some from more philosophical, theological perspectives. And then with, with regard to music, there's early rock and roll, there's punk rock, there's metal, there's hip-hop. Um, there's all sorts of different kinds of music that are being addressed in the book. So in this book, we wanted to say, from a theologically informed perspective, why does music matter? And so we try to write about that from a range of perspectives to try to invite people into a conversation just to think a little bit more deeply. And uh, my conviction is uh, that uh, what you enjoy, there's always room to enjoy it more and to, to, to think more about why you enjoy it. Uh, if the enjoyment and the feeling stays with you, then there may be something more to think about. And so um, that's what this book is about, taking it the next step of thinking more about why we feel so good about certain kinds of music and what's that mean? What could that mean religiously? Um, is the book out now? The book just came out uh, in uh, May of 2013, so it's uh, definitely available. My thanks to Professor Thomas Bedoin for talking to me about spiritual sleepers. You can read more of his work at rockandtheology.com. You can also check out the project's new book, Secular Music and Sacred Theology, now available from Liturgical Press. You can hear Fordham Conversations every Saturday at 7 a.m. You can also friend us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and catch up on past shows with our weekly podcast. Stay with us. George Bodarkey and Cityscape are next on WFUV. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Chris Williams.